Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Aaron Richter, currently Senior Vice President of Design at Equinox Brands. Aaron has been leading the development of user experiences in built environments across a variety of mixed-use commercial, residential, and retail settings. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the podcast. Super excited to speak with you here today. Good to see you, Jay. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, Aaron, I know you've been in your current role for quite a while, um, but you got some amazing background and experiences uh, prior to that. So as we always like to do, if you could just give us a, a high level or as detailed as you want, a little overview about your background, your journey, and basically how did you get to where you're at to today? I drove. Yeah. So yeah, I'm an old hospitality dog. I've been around for, I've been in this position for about 13 years now, overseeing the uh, Equinox brands. That includes the creation of and the execution of our first hotel. Uh, I've done around 60, almost 70 health clubs now globally. The brand Blinken House uh, oversaw the initial growth of SoulCycle uh, and did a lot of brand extensions internally. Before this, I was with Ian Schrager company launching the addition brand. I was involved in the uh, creation of that that concept with Ian. I only spent about a year and a half with Ian before coming to Equinox. Uh, before Ian, I was in Belgium. Uh, I was in Be- Belgium on the last year of my uh, role as a uh, senior design director for W Hotels. Did the first four in the States, the last one in Belgium, looking at overall the international hotel development for W and Starwood. Uh, those are the Barry Sternlich years, uh, which were glorious. Before that was a number of small retail jobs in the city. Uh, and then initially out of college was uh, Nike uh, working uh, in the environmental design department. Very cool, Aaron. Uh, what a great background. And we'll dig into a couple of these uh, as we go forward. So thinking about your journey, all those great companies and years throughout, thinking back, is there a key memory or a catalyst that stands out as a maybe a career-defining moment that helped kind of position or reposition you, whatever that may be, from an opportunity, location, focus, et cetera? So anything standing out as a major milestone? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of them I could talk to. I think there was one in particular, uh, early one at Nike, when as an architect, you pull all-nighters. It's just what you do. It's, it's part of the training. And because I was pinning up next to Art Center, people who were very, very talented and could render and do very, very beautiful things. And so my my boss at the time was this guy, John Hoke, who uh, I think runs had run the company for a while or ran all design for a while. Great guy, great mentor. He had come in one morning and I had been there from the night before and he had given me a, a rather questionable look about what I was doing there. And I told him I was, you know, I was working on this one particular thing and I had wanted to work all night to get it done. And he chastised me for it. And which I didn't expect. I expect, you know, you always expect compliments when you get put put effort in. Uh, and he said, he said, what do you, I don't understand why you're doing this. And he said, well, I'm you know, really keen on getting involved, more heavily involved with the company and doing, uh, understanding it better and doing better work for the company. And he said, that's not how you do it. And he said, what you need to do is go uh, join one of the intramural sports teams. And that's how you're going to learn about the corporate culture. You're not going to do it by burning the midnight oil. And so I took it to heart and and then joined a, a running club. And that really, I really combined my uh, passion for, for wellness and for business at the same time. I learned more through just association with the running team than I did with anything else. And so I took it to heart that 
when you're involved in a business that you need to uh, immerse yourself in all aspects of it and really embrace the lifestyle. So that was a, that was a critical moment for me, uh, having a deeper appreciation for what we're doing there. That's something that stands out. Okay, that's great to hear, and uh, uh, you know maybe a testament to the culture at Nike uh, and and really embedding yourself in the culture and organization. You mentioned a few. Anything else come to mind, or is that the one that sticks out the most for you? Well, I have I have a Barry one, a Barry Sterling one. When we were at Starwood, we uh, at the time we had the Westin brand, Lemuridian brand, Sheraton W. Uh, I think four points was around then a number of different brands. And so the issue internally then, even with, you know, let's call it probably, you know, 10 to 12 brands was how do you make them unique and distinct? And so there was a, there was a belief that one creative could do six brands or one creative should only do one brand. And, and that was the argument between different teams at the time. It was one creative for multiple brands thinking that that creative could then look at anything and put it in a particular pile didn't want, didn't work. So we had this moment with Barry where he had asked uh, me to look at a project in, in Montreal on Victoria square there. And he asked me just to say, Hey, you know, this is projects ongoing. Could you just take a look at this? And so I, you know, (laughs) pulled a bunch of all nighters and, uh, and created a concept from scratch and pinned it up in parallel to the designer's presentation without asking anybody. And um, I think there was, it was at a moment there where, uh, the advice to me was, you know, you always ask for forgiveness and not permission. And I, it was definitely a risk on my part. Uh, it was definitely uh, people, Ill, people said it was ill-advised for me to do that. It was, it could have been disastrous. And at the time it was really a critical moment because he had recognized the, what I was doing and he believed in it and ultimately then <laughs> fired the team that was on the project, uh, fired the architect, fired the interior designer and let me run the project from soup to nuts and made me director, uh, creative director for W. Uh, so that was a, a, a major milestone for me to do that. It, would, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't stuck my neck out and took the risk. So I think that was, he, I think he admired and, and likes to reward people that, are, that will stick their necks out and if they, if they believe in something. So uh, that was a good lesson for sure. Wow. A uh, great story to hear and, and fully uh, agree with that. It's about, you know, taking those leaps of faith, um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, et cetera, and, and doing those things that are a little risque that, you know, it, it's always a gamble, but no risk, no reward in your case, uh, that proved to be uh, the right thing to do. So kudos on that. Uh, Aaron, kind of around those questions of, let's say some things that stand out, some, some milestones and, and catalysts, are there anything that stands out when it comes to hurdles or roadblocks that you really encountered that, uh, you know, was a challenge to overcome? I was, I was, there's one I failed at for sure. I would say I'm very, I don't think it, you know, ultimately all things are lessons, but um, when we had, when we launched the edition brand, I was hired to, you know, I, because I had spoke corporate and I spoke boutique, there was this need to work with the Marriott uh, corporate leadership team and work with Ian and doing the work that he had done. And we needed one person to essentially translate between those two groups. And so you can imagine that how difficult that role may have been as in Ian's working practices is obviously very, very different than Marriott's. But in the first couple of years, they had not figured it out. It was, it was a really uh, very different working styles. And so I would could be caught between the crossfire between two different interest groups. And I would need to, you know, back and forth, try to make appeasements and, and, and make people understand each other. 
And I don't, I don't think I did a great job. I, or I don't think, I don't know if anyone did a great job. I, I didn't do a great job. I don't think because ultimately my heart was with what Ian was doing and it wasn't, it was with Marriott. I understood the importance of what Marriott brought to the table, but ultimately my aspirations were more of Ian's aspirations, which was creating the new and breaking things really and trying to try and a different approach. And so I, you know, I, I don't think I, again, I don't think I did very well in bridging that gap. I think it did eventually. <laughs> I wasn't involved in the, in the eventual solution. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing. I uh, appreciate the, the humbleness there. And as you said, you know, uh, a lot of times those key learnings come from, from mistakes, trial and error, uh, and that's just human nature. So as long as we learn uh, and, and live on from those, then uh, I think it's all, all value to some degree or another. And sometimes it maybe cost the, the opportunity at hand, the project or the job, but uh, in retrospect, like you said, big, big learnings throughout the career. Aaron, um, quite interesting role that you have, and we want to dig into this uh, quite deep here. So if you could tell us a little bit about your current role and how design is helping to drive success, and maybe if you could also, for some of our international livers, just give a little context into Equinox, the brand. And I'm curious, as you mentioned, you're now kind of an adjacent space of hotels and hospitality. So maybe a general introduction to the brands and then your role within that organization. Yeah, sure. So uh, Equinox as a company has been around 30 years. And we have, as I mentioned earlier, about 106 uh, health clubs internationally. When I had first started here, I was with Ian when I when Harvey Spivak, who's the CEO and managing partner here, who found me. And at the time, 13 years ago, gyms weren't a sexy thing. They were not a they were not a space that people were designing. It was often a forgotten industry in terms of the design world. Uh, when we would go to landlords, they would often, you know, put us in basements and the worst possible real estate you could find because it wasn't a celebrated activity. And so the RV, you know, hats off to him early on said that he understands that this is going to be a luxury product and that wellness will be a luxury offering in the future. And I believe that then, and I believe I definitely believe it now. <clears throat> and he said, we're going to differentiate by bringing in design from outside industries. We believe what hospitality is doing is more apropos to where we'd like to go than, than the fitness industry for sure. That's funny. When I, when I had interviewed with Sternlicht originally, I had no hotel experience whatsoever. I had retail experience. I was a Nike retail guy. And so when I interviewed with Barry, he said, how much hotel experience do you have? And I said, zero. And he said, that's exactly what we're looking for great. And that's why I interviewed with Harvey. And I said, how much fitness experience do you have? I said, zero. And he goes, great. That's exactly what we're looking for. So both times my ignorance has propelled me career-wise. <laughs> but Harvey believed at the time that, look, that, that this needs to be as high touch point as a residence, as a restaurant, as any retail, any good innovative retailer out there needed to be, uh, our fitness offering needed to be as good as anything like that. And so the importance of design was right, right at the beginning. And so our clubs um, are typically instant communities, which is cool, which is we were dealing with this idea of community really early on about how do you create these uh, local organic communities that really are about who's there and how, how do you create space for those people of like-mindedness who are all together trying to make themselves better human beings. And we like, we like that as, as, a, as, as a common thread. And I think, so as we develop this sort of, idea around wellness being luxury, uh, community aspect of, of what, what our product brought to the table. We had always been talking about hotels. In fact, we had a hotel in the book uh, back when I had started 
uh, early on back in 08, of course, this is right around the first recession. Uh, we had two, we actually had two or even three hotels on the books back then. And so they all went to nowhere. And ultimately I focused on the fitness and the uh, fitness clubs. But fast forward six, six, seven years later, we said, okay, we really want to do this hotel thing. And for us, it needed to understand, well, what does that mean? And we didn't want to just do another hotel. We wanted to understand what our values were as a company. And our values really are about self-improvement. And that comes through three major things of movement, nutrition, and regeneration. And that's been our, our cornerstone forever. And so what's wonderful about starting a hotel from scratch, really from the dirt, is we could really think about holistically what the hotel traditionally has offered and how we could think about it differently. And the big, I mean, yes, we focus on the technical aspects of sleep and the hotel. That's a very, very big part of what we do, but it's grounded in this idea that it's about, about, about these three pillars. Uh, so Equinox as a brand, uh, we've been around for about 30 years. Uh, we are a luxury fitness brand. We're in um, major markets in the US, Canada, and the United Kingdom. We have a number of other brands under our umbrella. We have Precision Running, which is a, a studio treadmill class. We've got uh, Soul, Soul Cycle, which is you probably know. And we have uh, a Blink Fitness Clubs as well. Uh, my role here is to oversee uh, the design canon of all of those, except for really SoulCycle. They have their own organization now. I was instrumental in the creation of the hotel brand from start to finish. And my role is to pick designers for sure, is to, to creatively manage every physical aspect of the brand, be it uh, the architecture, the interior design, signage, you name anything you can physically see and touch. It goes, goes through me. Design plays a very, very major aspect of what we do here. We have weekly meetings with the managing partner. We have weekly meetings with the internal division heads. So if you can imagine the clubs as a organism that has a head of Pilates, a head of personal training, a head of yoga, a head of retail, a head of spa, all sort of disparate, but very talented individuals that have their own needs. So for us as, as a club design team, we have to solve, or as a design team in general, we have to solve all the operational issues of a commercial piece of real estate. Right. So these things are, I wouldn't call them prison grade finishes, but it has to get close. Our, our clubs get a lot of abuse. You can imagine the amount of throughput and amount of showers that are taken in our, in our, in our facilities at any given moment. So they have to function first and foremost, because that's a, it's our, it's, you know, it's our bucket of money that we're spending. So it's our, we own all our assets. And so we have to be smart about that as owners, but then we also have to be designed forward and cutting edge and innovative uh, at any given moment. So we find ourselves trying to offer and find out what's new uh, in, the, in the industry, if I try to validate what's new in the industry and try to celebrate what is a new and innovative in the industry. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And the culmination of that ultimately is the hotel, uh, which is really the redefining of what hospitality could be uh, for us. We think it's this, uh, and what's particularly unique about what we do is it's the combination of the transient guest and the neighborhood business, which doesn't really happen in a hotel outside of a, a restaurant or a bar, which isn't often the most, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, so it could be a little self-destructive in those areas. We'd like to be something that's more celebrated in sort of, in sort of wellness and self-improvement. And I think what's nice about that is let's say if you're, if you're going to one of our properties uh, as a hotel guest, you get to experience all the neighborhood life and activity that the club brings to it. So it's not, you really are dovetailing into the local community in a way that doesn't really happen in other properties. 
not in a, not in a positive way, I don't think. And so that unique aspect of the hotel is unique. And from a design standpoint, that is not designed in the sense that it's blue or red or green, or it's got this logo or that logo. That's a fundamental programming issue. And so that makes it tricky, right? Or, and, and, and cool because it's unique. So it's, it's, it's something you need to control from day one. And so that's, that's something that the, our relationship with Related and the ner- early on has allowed us to do because we built the building from scratch here at Hudson Yards. And so we were able to affect how all the different pieces interlocked and how, and how they correlated. So that's how it sort of that all kind of came together from a design standpoint. Okay. Wow. Sounds like you got quite your hands full of managing the different brands and the different teams, the different experiences and touch points. So I was curious to see, you know, how much, uh, let's say design has its arms around those different elements and artifacts, if you will, and non-tangible. So that says a lot there, uh, Aaron. And the next question may be built on that, whatever you might be able to share, um, of course, non-specifics, but can you tell us what are some of the biggest or the bigger challenges you face in your role and, and how do you maybe overcome those? Uh, so for challenges, challenges have always typically been real estate related. We are, you know, a, a real estate company, first and foremost, I think, and an operating company. But the real estate used to be the challenge because we wouldn't be able to get the real estate we wanted. We had to really fight uh, tooth and nail to get the uh, main to main location that we were going for. And we would be in competition with other retailers in those, in those situations, other anchored real- retailers. As we grew as a brand, that real estate challenge changed. We became one of the last real anchor typologies in a multi-use building, right? So, you know, who's, who's taking 30, 40,000 square feet anymore in a corner? It's no longer, you know, every developer you see has a has a retail podium and they've got an Apple logo slapped on it. They're thinking they're going to get Apple in their space and then it's not going to happen. And then quickly as you, as, as Apple doesn't happen or who's left in terms of big box retail. And there isn't much left, quite frankly. And so the challenge that was used to be a challenge for us is now an advantage in terms of real estate, because what's happening now is that they see our footfall, people that come to our clubs as the right income, the right demographic, the right, the right typology of people to sell other things to. And so what happens when we show up to a, a development now is that developers are happy from a real estate perspective because now they can go out and tend at the rest of their space with like-minded folks. They can get Lululemon, they can get a juice juice concept, they can get other wellness activities and, and sort of make it a, a density of, of wellness. And so from a real estate perspective, that's, that's I think, a positive. What's hard from a real estate perspective now for us is that we can't just convert any hotel into another Equinox hotel because often we have this aspect of community that we'd like to bring into the project. And often uh, existing properties haven't been designed for that. And often developers won't shop a flag until it's too late for us. And so sometimes we'll see real estate and they're like, we'd love you here, uh, but there's no place to put your health club. And we have to shrug our shoulders and say, we can't do it. Other ones are the difficulty is that because we have already 100, 106 properties, that there's radius restrictions that we put upon ourselves uh, that we don't want to cannibalize our own existing portfolio clubs. And so the real estate strategy becomes very more like a scalpel and less like a hammer. And so we have to be very careful and very smart about how we do real estate. I mean, luckily, it's one of our definitely our strong points here in the company is, is, is real estate in general. So. I think what used to be a challenge is now definitely an advantage in, in the world, even though it's a complicated advantage. Other challenges are that we, it used to be that uh, we would go to designers who had never done a health club before, uh, and we have to teach them how to do a health club. 
so that, that was tricky. We like, yeah, we like designers, but often the designers that we like have no clue. And so we would have to like, okay, well, this is how you do it. And we would then have to lay out everything in house before we even talk to a designer. And so we built a, a good team to do that. So we're, we're happy about that. Now, as, as we've grown, those have become rather robust and rather thorough brand standards. Now we're excited when a designer hasn't done a health club before because all of those unknowns are knowns. And we're looking for those designers to break those rules and to, to challenge us on those rules and to find opportunities where we, 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 we didn't know before. So I think that's, a, that's kind of a fun way to, to, to think about how that challenge has changed over time. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing it. And I appreciate that, that viewpoint you, you mentioned earlier about your career journey and kind of coming from outside the industry and embracing that with your designers, right? We're very strong about, I guess you could call it the cross-pollinization, right? So bringing, bringing in those other perspectives to kind of challenge the status quo. I'll tell you right now, that is absolutely the most fundamental thing in my career is when I got to Nike, my biggest epiphany was that as an architect, you're top of the food chain, right? You tell the interior designer when you're done. Right. And the interior designer then tells the signage person when they're done and they tell the merchandiser when they're done. And Nike, you don't, none of that exists. It's all a flattened hierarchy. So my team was uh, an audiovisual person, a copywriter, a, a visual merchandiser. People, I didn't even know what they did as an architect. You don't know, you don't know, care or respect what any of those people did, which is wrong fundamentally. And so when you're sitting on these teams with these other, other professionals and they're got their own set of heroes and they've got their own issues that they're dealing with and their own you know, impetus to do the job well, that it's an incredibly exciting time when that, those groups of people at early on in the project can come can have a conversation about and set expectations and set goals about what they could possibly achieve. And ultimately we could achieve with the diverse team was always far, far, far superior than what any of us could have done alone. And I got spoiled. I was like, well, this is how it is, right? This is how it always is. And I left Nike and it's not how it is anywhere. Right. It's, everything is still very, very traditional. And I've, I've been fighting that for a long time to try to, you know, at Starwood, we would have the um, housekeepers come into the model room reviews, which was crazy. Like, you know, the executives would be like, who are these people? And we're like, these are the people that will clean the room. And ultimately, their responses are more valuable than yours as an executive team. Right. Because these people have to clean 20 of these rooms over the course of a, a day. And if the bed's too heavy and the, and the mirror falls down and, and it, you know, you, you've, you haven't designed a good anything, right? And I think that comes from my Nike, you know, sort of like indoctrination of, look, everyone's voice is important. And I, there shouldn't be sort of hierarchy of creatives on anything. Fantastic to hear. And of course, you know, from the outside in, looking at a company like Nike, you know, very design centric, uh, market leader in many ways. But I think the point you made, you know, Aaron is... Uh, and I can say a lot of our clients, you know, it's lip service about, you know, cross-pollinization, multidisciplinary, but that doesn't work in practice, right? And to hear and see yeah. how it actually works. And of course, you know, the proof is in the outcome, right? Uh, most uh, integrated holistic experiences when you get those those different perspectives. And and glad to know that, you know, that was a maybe an early epiphany that's carried through in your career. And of course, is being reflected in the work that you do with your teams around uh, the clubs and hospitality. Aaron. Very interesting organization you're with now. And uh, of course, uh, you know, what you're building out has to last, right? Uh, this isn't a, a CPG, disposable consumer goods. You're building uh, environments and, and locations that will last uh, years and decades, maybe longer. So um, curious to know, let's say moving into the future, and you mentioned before about, you know, building communities and moving into wellness. 
What do you see as the biggest opportunities or the future role of design moving forward in the next few years or the next decade? What's your perspective on that? Well, yeah, sure. And I, I, I'd given a talk recently in Vegas where the, this had come up and I, and I, I had tasked out designers to work up the food chain, not down the food chain, right? So don't, don't punch down, punch up. That's sort of my expression. And I said, so what I mean by that is that like at, at Starwood, I was spoiled to be sort of boots on the ground with the, the development team and the operational team, right? So if we got a piece of dirt, it'd be me from design and two other people. And so what's cool about that is that when it's a piece of dirt and the, the deal team is saying, okay, how do we, what are we going to do here? We're going to build a hotel. And as a designer, you can not only say, well, okay, I want a, you know, a big door here and a window over here. You can also say, well, I want a restaurant over here and I want a restaurant over there, or I want a, a bar over here. I want to connect these two. And in real time, you can see the development team adjust their models, right? So you can, as a designer, affect uh, the pro forma which was an epiphany to me. And it made me realize that I should be much more worried about the programming of a property than I am about the doorknobs, right? I need to be equally as worried, I guess, as both. And I think most designers don't think they can, they don't belong or they don't have the voice to be in the rooms when the program is being developed. And I argue that that's absolutely not the case. I think design needs to play a much bigger role in, in problem solving up the food chain, right? Because what happens up the food chain is people turning the crank of ROI. Right. They're like, I know how to make money. I've made money before. It looks like this. Right. I get this much, this much dollars on this room, and I get this much dollars on this restaurant. I get this much dollars on this. And that's and I compare it against the the, the other hotels in, in, in the market. And that's how I get my numbers. There's nothing innovative going on in that process. It's all duplicative. Right. And so if you want to innovate as a designer, you gotta again, you gotta punch up, you gotta mess with those people. And say, okay, you have to challenge all of their assumptions, and you have to make them take risks with you. And if you get the right team, you create something magical. I mean, quite magical. Yeah, great to hear. Um, some good advice for the listeners. A punch up, um, as you said, move up the food chain as design has been trying to do and successfully doing. Kind of as we say, moving north uh, more to the strategic business intent, and of course, downstream operational to get the things done as we need to do as designers and craftspeople. Sternlich, Sternlich gave him a new, he gave himself a title of chief design officer. Fantastic. Right? This is, that, that was a role that didn't exist until he made it up, right? I think, you know, he believed, I mean, he's a, a very, very strong believer and, you know, proofs in the pudding, he's created brilliant things that design needs to have a voice at that level. That's, that's great. That says a lot. And, and, and as the saying goes, of course, now that we have a seat at the table, what are we going to do with it and have to prove the value, the outcomes, right. the ROI, all that good stuff. Aaron, talking about uh, buildings and, and into the future, as, as we mentioned, uh, uh, design is evolving very quickly and you've got your arms around quite a few aspects of design, brand design, experience, interiors, architectures, et cetera. What do you believe is maybe the biggest challenge facing the design industry moving forward? Any things that you're experiencing or uh, kind of seeing on the horizons as challenges or maybe, as we like to say, opportunities in disguise, but presented as challenges? I think there's an, I, sure. I mean, I, I think there's going to, I think we're all experiencing this focus on well-being, uh, not only just a personal well-being, but a sort of societal well-being. And I think, I think the, Early on in, in just look at the, the pandemic has accelerated all of this in terms of understanding what, what's important to people. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the 
designed as an opportunity to be more thoughtful about the health and wellness of the people that inhabit their things, right? I think they're, you know, I think LEAD was a good early on idea of how to think about it. I think well certification has, has gone a couple steps further admirably to, to think about how the building functions and how it affects the users. We have our our project in Culver City is the first well-certified fitness facility in the U.S. We're very proud of that. We're very, very proud that our, our brand standards in the hotel side are, are well-certified, are, are, are well-standard focused as well. Uh, but I think everyone in the design world has a responsibility to think about how they're, what they're doing, not only what they're creating in terms of materials they're using, but how it's affecting the health and wellness and, and general well-being of their users. Right, I think you can't can't avoid it anymore, right? And I think architects very quickly will say, "Well, we're not, you know, medical professionals. We can't go down to the micro nanometer on our finishes." And I, I, I often disagree. I think there's a lot we can do as as architects and designers that that can, you know, help all of us make better, live better lives. Uh, and, you know, that can be operational. That can be finishes. That can be how the thing's laid out. This could be, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. So I think we all have a responsibility in the future to 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 not only just react to something like a pandemic, but to react to to a lot of uh, health issues that are that are facing, you know, pick a country and they, someone's facing a health issue. And as and as I was mentioning earlier, my uh, I think we all need to be far more sensitive to people with immobilities. As I ran through the pandemic, I got, you know, I got injured and I had to go through physical therapy and I have a whole new appreciation for what a set of stairs look like. I'm like, oh my God, stairs. I'm like, you can't, who, what jerk put stairs here? Right. Like you don't, you don't, you just don't appreciate, you don't think about it as an able-bodied human being, you, you know, you're, you're ignorant often to, to the needs of other people. And I think um, you have to fully appreciate the, the, you know, what people are going through and, and, and understand it. Um, so you know, I think design ultimately is, is, a, is a responsibility. That's amazing to hear. Fantastic. Uh, we, I personally like the word responsible, responsibility, sustainability. Yes, as you mentioned, buildings and, and the lead certification and all that uh, good stuff on material side, but also society as you guys well, are driving I, wellness I will, and fitness. Yeah, I will say sus- sustainability is a little bit of a, uh, you know, I would hate to say a buzzword at this point, because I think most architects are practicing in a, in a more, much more sustainable way. Right. I think that that's almost table stakes these days yeah. is that you're, you're, you have a certain amount of recycled content. You are, you're thinking about where your materials are coming from, how you're, you know, how you're managing your site waste. How are you thinking about your fresh water into like all that? It's what does architects and designers are doing these days. So I think that's like baseline. I think we can go much, much, much further than that and challenge uh, again, the supply chain and challenge ourselves to, to think about doing uh, sustainable sustainability things that aren't just material related that are more community related. That's fantastic to hear. So I'm glad to hear from your perspective. That's the baseline standards that everyone's working from. And then on top of that, as you said, challenging the status quo, challenging the supply chain, the value chain, so forth and so on. I think it's, you know, a testament to your leadership to really drive design into the future uh, and challenge the organizations, the stakeholders, your peers, et cetera. Uh, Aaron, we ran through quite a few questions. I've got a page of notes here with a few nice call outs for some inspiration and um, let's say um, takeaways. But in closing, are there any key takeaways and advice you want to share with our listeners who are looking to advance their careers in design leadership and and or for those that want to, of course, uh, advance design in their organization? So 
Um, some key takeaways from your side. So there's, there's an old expression that I love, and I'm not sure I, I'll, I'll quote to the wrong person, but basically it says something like this. It says, be wary of the creatives because they're the most dangerous because they talk to everybody. And I'm quoting it wrong. That's generally the gist of it. And that is what I would say to anyone that is interested in, in having a more creative process is really about talking to everybody and listening to everybody. You need to be a group, group therapist, right? You need to be sort of a group motivational thinker. You need to be a conductor. You need to be able to get everyone in concert and to believe what you're believing. And to do that requires lots of talking and lots of listening. And that's absolutely the, the fundamental in the design process. If you're not listening, if you're not talking, if you're in an ivory tower sketching a form, you think it's solving problems, it's not. And so that's my first advice is absolutely just listen, stop drawing and listen for a bit. <laughs> Fantastic. I, uh, I back that 100%. Get out of the ivory towers if you happen to be in one and uh, listen, involve yourself, integrate, so forth and so on. And you mentioned the very different roles we have, therapists, conductors, uh, researchers, etc. cetera. Uh, fantastic advice. Uh, Aaron, in closing, any final thoughts or reflections from your side? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, sure. I mean, I hope I inspire someone to, to, to come in and, and to mess me up. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking for the next generation of folks to take up the mantle of, of design and, and wow us and inspire us and then show us what, what couldn't have been done before. And, you know, we, I talked to a lot of young creatives who are, dissolution in the profession who are less less likely now than 10 years ago to go in the profession or don't under, really understand what the profession is uh, and there's so much of the so much of those creatives ultimately do tangential jobs in marketing or internet or something that's sort of tangential and, and not really into the space of architecture and interior design and I, I hope I hope at some point I, I'm continually able to inspire people to, to get into the profession because it is ultimately more powerful and people give it credit. Fantastic advice there, Aaron, and uh, appreciate the taking the time to speak with myself and the community. For those that haven't yet had a chance to experience the Equinox Clubs, I encourage you to do so. It is a premium uh, luxury service, but uh, it's the details that matter, right? And you can tell it's by design. It was thought through uh, from all aspects and, and as they say, the, the differences in the details. So uh, from, a, from a user perspective, I think it's a fantastic um, opportunity to indulge in design services and appreciate all the great work from you and the team. Look forward to some more amazing work coming out, uh, the hotels, the clubs, et cetera. So thank you so much for the time and uh, hope that we cross again past soon here. Thank you, Jay. Hopefully in person at some point when all uh, the world writes itself. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care, man. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gained some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues have helped to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.